This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 15, entitled, Should Christians Worship Jesus? This is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much again for joining us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. I'm your host. A common argument regarding the identity of Jesus goes something like this. Premise number one, Jesus appears to be worshipped in the Bible. Premise number two, only God is worthy of worship. Therefore, Jesus must be God. And this is a common argument that gets used by a lot of people, both in popular Christianity and in popular preaching. And today, we're actually going to be asking, should Christians worship Jesus? And if so, how should Jesus be worshipped while still maintaining that the Father is the only true God? Is it actually true that only the God is worthy of worship in the Bible? That's actually the point we're going to start off with in our study today. So the first point we're going to note is that the Bible shows evidence of human beings receiving worship in both the Old and New Testaments. This is really not that difficult to demonstrate. There are a variety of persons that are human beings within the Bible that are actually worshipped. I'll just start with a list here. The sons of Heth are worshipped by Abraham in Genesis 23 and verse 7. We can also see that Esau is worshipped by Jacob in Genesis 33, verse 3. Joseph is worshipped by his brothers in Genesis 42 and verse 6. We can also see that Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, was worshipped by Moses in Exodus chapter 18 and verse 7. Boaz was worshipped by Ruth in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 10. Jonathan is worshipped by David in 1 Samuel 20, verse 41. King Saul is worshipped by David in 1 Samuel 24 and verse 8. We can also see that David was worshipped by Abigail in 1 Samuel 25 and verse 23. Samuel, who actually died, was worshipped by King Saul in 1 Samuel 28 verse 14. The prophet Elisha was worshipped by the sons of the prophets in 2 Kings 2 and verse 15. And Daniel was worshipped by King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 46. So there we have over 10 references to where human beings are worshipped in the Bible. And in none of those instances was that worship directed towards a human being prohibited by God, nor was it denounced by those persons who received said worship. Another important passage to look at which actually demonstrates our point that human beings are worshipped in the Bible, comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 20. And this is actually worthy of reading in its entirety, where it states, All the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. I'm going to read that second part again. They bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. That is 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 20, to where 
the Lord, which is Yahweh, and the king are both the recipients of the verbs bowing low and doing homage. Both God and the king are the recipients of this worship. They actually share the same verb. They're both objects of the same verb. Actually, two verbs here describing acts of worship and prostration. So it's very clear that within the Bible, God and the human king can be worshipped. And this human king here is actually David. And again, in the context, this sort of worship was not prohibited nor denounced. Point being is that within the Bible, it was acceptable to offer worship and prostration to certain worthy human beings. It might not be that way today in the Western world in the 21st century, but we have to be very careful to not read our 21st century Western Christianity back into the Bible. We need to allow the Bible to speak for itself. Moving along into the New Testament, we can actually see in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 9, to where Jesus encourages the Christians at the church in Philadelphia. Jesus says this in Revelation 3, 9, Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Here Jesus is saying that he's going to cause these Jews from a certain synagogue to come and to worship at the feet of these Christians. And this act of worship, which in the NASB gets translated as bowing down, comes from the Greek word proskuneo, which is the Greek word that we did a word study for the previous references of worshiping human beings within the Old Testament just before. So we can see that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, human beings can be worshipped. So the earlier premise in our introduction, which was premise number two, which said that only God is worthy of worship, is actually an incorrect premise because I've demonstrated in over a dozen instances to where human beings can rightfully be worshipped within the Bible. Of course, we have references in the Bible of God being worshipped, and we have references in the Bible of Jesus being worshipped, specifically within the New Testament. I do want to take some time here to look at the verses where the Holy Spirit is worshipped. Well, unfortunately, there aren't any, because the Holy Spirit is actually never worshipped in the Bible. And that is a very interesting point for biblical Unitarians, namely that God is worshipped in the Bible, Jesus is also worshipped, but the Holy Spirit never, ever is the recipient of worship. All right. Moving on to point number two, which is that the Bible reserves certain nouns and verbs that describe worship for God alone, but never uses them for Jesus. Let's look at one particular verb. This is the Greek verb latrevo. This verb means to serve or offering religious service or the demonstrating of religious duties or even cultic service within a temple context. Latrevo is a Greek verb that is used 21 times in the New Testament. And apart from two references regarding forbidden worship, it is always used with God the Father as its object. We can see how this is used, particularly in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10, which is where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve, Latrevo, him only. 
So Jesus there said that you are to serve the Lord your God only. Only the Lord your God is to be the recipient of this sort of service. And again, this Greek word for service here is latrebo. Here Jesus is saying that you are to serve the Lord your God only. And we can see there within the references to Latrebo in the New Testament that every single time that it is a positive reference to service or worship, it is always used in direction of God the Father. It is never used of Jesus. And that's very interesting that the Bible is going to keep and reserve this particular verb for God the Father and never using it for Jesus. Of course, it's also never used for the Holy Spirit. Now, the corresponding noun, latria, related to the verb latrevo, is a noun that refers to religious service that is offered. It is only used five times in the New Testament. It is always used for God and never used for Jesus Christ. Let's give a biblical example of this noun. John chapter 16 and verse 2 has Jesus saying, They will make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And that reference there of service is the Greek noun latria. And every single occurrence of this word latria, that is a service that is offered, a religious service offered, is always offered to God. It is never offered to Jesus. So again, very interesting that the New Testament reserves this noun for God alone and never gives it to Jesus. Another verb is the verb Litruriin, we actually get the modern English noun liturgy, is a verb that means to render formal service. It is used three times in the New Testament, never offered to Jesus. Let's give an example of this verb. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11 says that every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11, where the word that the NASB translates as ministering is from this verb, liturin, again, a verb that is never offered to Jesus. We also have a noun that gets generally translated as religion. It is the Greek noun, threskia, used four times in the New Testament, again, never used of Jesus. Let's look at one reference here, a collection of two verses, back to back, that have this Greek noun used twice. James chapter 1 and verse 26 through 27. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion, the word we're looking at, is worthless. Verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. There we have, again, that Greek noun, threskia, getting translated as religion. And verse 27 makes it very clear, it is religion in the sight of our God and Father. This noun is never used of Jesus. So it's very interesting that on the subject of worship, that the New Testament has a variety of nouns and a variety of verbs that are never used of Jesus, but most often are used of God the Father. So it does seem that the New Testament wants to reserve a certain type of exalted worship for God the Father alone, while excluding Jesus from that level of worship. Our final point 
point number three, the Bible distinguishes the types of worship that are appropriate for God and for Jesus. Let's start in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible at Psalm number two, one of the most often cited Psalms in the New Testament in reference to Jesus. Read a couple of verses out of this, Psalm chapter 2 and verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So we have God there and his anointed, his anointed king, his Messiah, his Christ. And we can see later in Psalm 2, verse 11, Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. But verse 12, it says, kiss the son. So the Lord is the one who receives worship with reverence in verse 11. And a different verb is used for the son in verse 12, which is the verb meaning to kiss. So we have both the Lord and the son receiving worship, but two different words are being used for those types of worship. In other words, the type of worship that is given to the Lord is a different type of worship that is given to the Son. So it's very interesting that the Old Testament makes that sort of distinction. We can also see a similar distinction used in the New Testament. Let's look at Revelation chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 8, which says, And the four living creatures... Each one of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will, they were, and they were created. That's Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, to where God, the one who sits upon the throne, is worthy of worship because he created all things. That's clear. Obviously, the creator of all things is worthy of worship. But Revelation 4 says that he is worthy of worship specifically because he created all things. Now we can move on to Revelation chapter 5 to where the lion and the lamb becomes the subject. I'm going to start in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 and read all the way to verse 12. They sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So there we see very specifically, especially in verse 9, that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped because he died. And with his death, he purchased for God, with his blood, men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. So both God and Jesus are worthy of worship 
but they're worthy of worship for two different reasons. God is worthy of worship because he's the creator of all things, and Jesus is worthy of worship because he died, and as the Messiah, his blood redeemed humanity. So yes, they're both worshipped. That is true, and that needs to be honestly acknowledged by biblical Unitarians, but both the Old and New Testaments have different types of worship for God and for the Messiah, and that is very important to note. Sometimes the New Testament specifically states why those who offered worship to Jesus did so. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2 in the first two verses. Matthew 2 and verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Why did the Magi want to worship Jesus? Well, according to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, it's because he was the king of the Jews. They did not want to worship Jesus because he was Yahweh, because he was the God of Israel, or he was the only true God. On the contrary, it was because he was the king of the Jews, the Messiah. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 33 has the disciples in the boat, and it says that those who are in the boat worshipped him, they worshipped Jesus, saying, you are certainly God's son. So, why was Jesus worthy of being worshipped? Because he was the son of God, because he was the Messiah, because he was the one empowered to demonstrate miracles over the waters. He was not worthy of worship because he was God. No, it was because he was God's son. That's Matthew chapter 14 and verse 33. Another record in Mark chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Seeing Jesus from the distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, Verse 7, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? That's Mark chapter 5, verses 6 through 7, to where a demonized man identifies Jesus as the Son of the Most High God, and because of this, he comes up and bows down and worships Jesus. Jesus there, again, is worshipped because he is the Son of the Most High God. Not that he is the Most High God. He is the Most High God's Son. And in John's Gospel, we can see in John chapter 9, Jesus saying, starting in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. That's John chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, to where Jesus is worshipped because he identifies himself to this person as the Son of Man. Notice in all of these references, Jesus is worshipped because he is someone like the King of the Jews, the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God, and the Son of Man. Never is Jesus worshipped as Yahweh, as the only true God, as the God of Israel. Jesus can be worshipped as God's Messiah, and he most certainly is worthy of that worship. So in conclusion, we have observed today that, number one, while it may not be the same for Westerners in the 21st century, the Bible depicts that it was acceptable to offer worship to certain worthy human beings, both in the Old and New Testaments. Number two, we saw that the Father is worshipped and Jesus is worshipped, but the Holy Spirit is never worshipped anywhere in Scripture. Point number three, 
we observe that the New Testament reserves many nouns and verbs describing acts of worship and service offered to God the Father, but never once using them for Jesus Christ. And number four, we saw that the Bible makes a clear distinction between the worship given to God and the worship given to Jesus Christ. God is worthy to be worshipped because he is the creator of all things. Jesus, on the other hand, is worthy to be worshipped because he, as the Messiah, died, redeeming humanity in his death. If you enjoyed the Biblical Unitarian Podcast and you'd like to support the work that it is doing, be sure to check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you again so much for listening to us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, take care.